We would like to acknowledge and respect the traditional owners, including the Wandri Woiwurrung people, as the regional custodians of this land, along with their customs and traditions and their special relationship with the land. It's Sunday the 29th of August, and welcome to The Wind Down, a recap of the week's news produced by Swinburne University's The Standard. I'm your host, Angus Delaney. Among today's headlines, Prime Minister Scott Morrison doubles down on Aussies getting freedoms once 70% of people are vaccinated. Plus, I talk with Professor Anthony Scott, an expert in vaccine hesitancy from the Melbourne Institute. There's some evidence now that the lotteries, and there's been recent evidence to find that that actually had no effect on vaccine uptake. All that and more in this edition of The Wind Down. And now for the week's headlines. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has doubled down in his stance that Australia must reopen the country and learn to live with COVID-19 once 70% of eligible people are vaccinated after experiencing some backlash from states. Mr Morrison said that states must honour their agreement to reopen when vaccination goals of 70 and 80% are reached. But once you get to 70% of your country that is eligible for the vaccine and 80%, the plan sets out that we have to move forward. We cannot hold back. The notion that Australia should begin to reopen at 70 and 80% vaccination is underpinned by modelling by the Doherty Institute, who say that Australia will cope with the virus once their targets are met, meaning lockdowns and restrictions become less necessary. However, Queensland and Western Australian leaders believe that, after seeing the damage of the Delta variant in Sydney, they can't commit to the targets. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk says the goalposts have changed and that she may not open the border to New South Wales even when 80% vaccination has been reached. Western Australian Premier Mark McGowan said he wanted to crush and kill the virus. Morrison responded to these doubts by reiterating that the Doherty Institute modelling indicated that starting with a higher caseload would not impact the integrity of the model and that the healthcare systems would not be overloaded. As it stands now, over 30% of eligible people are fully vaccinated and 55% have received at least one dose nationally. To get a more in-depth look at the vaccination landscape in Australia, I spoke with Professor Anthony Scott, an expert and researcher for vaccine hesitancy. Thanks so much for joining me, Anthony. Just looking broadly at your data, what changes have we seen in vaccine hesitancy for Australians over the past couple of months? Um, it's been quite notable, I think. Um, you know, generally, bef- I mean, going back a bit, before We got the vaccines in kind of rollout in the beginning of March. Um, Vaccine hesitancy was quite low, but started to build up just before we got the vaccines. And then when we got the vaccine, when the vaccine rollout started, hesitancy kind of plateaued off. And then it peaked in April when we heard about the AstraZeneca blood clots um, up to about, you know, 30, 30 odd percent in April across Australia. And since then, it's progressively gone down. Um, so obviously the, the recent outbreaks in Melbourne and Sydney have, have reduced vaccine hesitancy. Um, but there's still some evidence that it's kind of plateaued a bit, particularly in New South Wales. Recently, we've got some data that it's kind of actually increased in the last, in the last month or so, which is interesting given the, the size of the outbreak there. And just looking in the last two weeks, we can see that our hesitancy has gone across the board from 21.8% down to 20.3%. And Victoria in particular has gone from 23.5% down to 20 How much do you think the government's saying that the targets of 70 and 80% vaccination will give people more freedoms? How do you think this has influenced hesitancy? 
Um, well, I think that's probably starting to in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the New South Wales government's announcing more freedoms and uh, people are starting to think about that in the last week or so. Um, so we'll see in the next few weeks in our data as it comes in whether whether that's starting to have an impact. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people who are unsure and are kind of just waiting for Pfizer, for example, because there's still a lot of people don't don't want AstraZeneca. So they've been waiting for supply. So that's the the group that are probably more likely to get vaccinated more quickly um, as a result of these incentives. Um, our other research has shown that um, for those who are definitely unwilling to be vaccinated, which is about 12-14% now across Australia, that group's the hardest to reach. And, and some of those might be influenced by incentives, but 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 the majority won't be. So so that, that's the, the kind of tough nut to crack. So for the people that aren't sure, what's like the kind of incentives that would make them consider getting the vaccine? Um, well, um, I think there's uh, there's kind of freedom incentives, if you like, um, uh, which is you know related to um, you know if you are doubly vaccinated, then you then you have more freedoms. You can travel, you can fly, you can go to restaurants, you can gather with other families. Um, and then there's other incentives such as uh, lotteries and financial incentives. Um, you know, that there's, uh, there's some evidence now that the lotteries, I think there was a big lottery in Ohio in the US, um, and there's been recent evidence to find that that actually had no effect on vaccine uptake. Um, uh, and, you know, our research has shown that, um, you know, um, if you uh, offer, like, you know, I think we, we had um, up to $100 straight cash payment to get vaccinated, um, that that would only impact about, of those who aren't currently vaccinated, or so of those un unwilling to be vaccinated, that would only influence about 10% of those to get vaccinated. So, you know, but so it still influences some people. And I think, you know, um, the government needs to use a, a suite of, different strategies because different people are influenced by different things i guess depending on where they're at yeah that makes sense definitely do you think that 16 to 39 year olds being able to access pfizer i'm not sure if this has shown up in your latest data but do you think that has anything to do with the decrease in hesitancy um look i think that's still the group with the highest hesitancy um so that's still quite high amongst that group um partly it's because i mean you know so that there's a group who are have been vaccinated but who who are willing to be vaccinated those who are unwilling and unsure is our definition of hesitancy and that group is has is still quite high just shy of 30 percent of, of that group and um, so the increase in supply there's a lot of people waiting to be vaccinated in that group who are willing um, and they're going to be ones you see in the queues um, and getting vaccinated now that it's been become available in in um, across different states but we're still not sure what's going to happen to that group that quite large group who are unsure or unwilling and, and what it would take them particularly to get vaccinated given that you know um uh, you know astrazeneca's kind of they can have it but it's only really recommended for the over 60s so there's still maybe an issue about the the, the risk of the blood clots happening more in the young in that one but the, those risks are very small and certainly the risks of catching covid and and, and those issues are, are much more problematic i think than, than getting a blood clot Yes, that's interesting because a few months ago in Victoria, we might have thought, well, what's the point of getting a vaccine if we don't have COVID anymore? But now that the outbreaks happened, do you think that's a big trigger in people getting their vaccines? 
Look, I think it will, and I think it's 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 the young who want to get out and about probably a bit more, um, you know, and uh, see their friends and 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 just just get outside, you know. So I think there will be. It'd be interesting to see if 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 these kind of freedom incentives influence that group more than more than other people. Obviously, you know, the elderly, you know, don't grab much <laughs> compared to younger people. So um, yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see if if the incentives influence this group a bit more. And. I talked a little bit earlier about the 70 and 80% vaccination targets. We've seen that Western Australia and Queensland might not honour those agreements um, depending on the situation. Do you think that um, we saw a decrease in Western Australia or an increase in vaccine hesitancy, sorry, in Western Australia? Do you think that could be because the Premier Mark McGowan said he wanted to crush and kill the virus and might not follow these um, targets? Yeah, look, I think, you know, that. There is going to be variation across the states in what they do and when they do it. And and although there is a broad in principle agreement, whatever that means, you know, the states can still pretty much do what they want. So I think the 70, 80 percent um, is, is, is being seen by all states as a kind of a rough target for beginning to do things and whether some states will do that earlier than others, um, you know, is important um, to see. But I think it's, you know, there's going to be variation and states are going to do you know, kind of what they want, um, uh, which may not be consistent with those guidelines. But, you know, the, the modelling is modelling. It, 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 it tells us roughly what might happen. Um, a lot of things can change in between now and, and hitting 70 80%, maybe towards the end of the year. Um, so, you know, it, and, and even, you know, within states, Within New South Wales and Victoria, there's going to be a lot of variation hesitancy across different LGAs and different areas, and that's still going to affect things. So I think you know it's trying to keep a a kind of uh, a, 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 an eye on that as well, um, because that's going to affect different places um, in different ways. And now back to our headlines. 60 people were killed and almost 150 injured in a double suicide bombing outside of Kabul International Airport. The attack, which claimed the lives of at least 13 US soldiers, has been claimed by ISIS-K, an affiliate group of Islamic State, who have been described as more radical than the Taliban. ISIS-K disagree with the Taliban's focus on establishing control of Afghanistan, as Islamic State believes in establishing a global rule. United States President Joe Biden so the perpetrators of the attack will be brought to justice. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. Biden also said he was outraged and heartbroken by the attack, which is the largest loss of life in one day for US military since 2011. The situation is still developing, and it is unclear whether rescue flights will continue to operate in Kabul airport before the 31st of August which the Taliban has signalled as the deadline for American troop withdrawal. Richard Pusey has avoided custody after being sentenced to 120 days in prison, time he has already served for the assault of a woman and harassment of a Westpac Bank employee. Pusey left Ravenhall Correctional Centre wearing a mask that read fake news, sunglasses and a headdress. As well as his 120 days in time already served, he was given a $3,300 fine for two separate road rage incidents. Pusey was jailed earlier this year in April after he notoriously filmed four police officers dying on the Eastern Freeway who were hit by a truck after pulling over his Porsche last year, sparking public outrage. Seven US police officers have sued Donald Trump for provoking the January 6th attack on the Capitol, 
They alleged the attack was the culmination of months of far-right rhetoric, which invigorated extremist groups including the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. They say Mr Trump was aware of the potential for violence and actively encouraged it for political gain. The case is the latest in a string of civil lawsuits filed against Mr Trump for inciting the attacks, hoping to hold him accountable. The siege left five people dead, including one police officer. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. Mr Trump has previously defended himself by saying his actions were protected by the right to free speech in the First Amendment of the US Constitution and that he cannot be held liable under US civil law during his time as president. Taiwan's president has been publicly vaccinated using the country's own domestically developed vaccine called Medigen. President Tsai Ing-wen had put off getting vaccinated from the likes of Moderna and AstraZeneca, instead giving the ultimate seal of approval for the people of Taiwan and receiving her dose of Medigen live on Facebook. Medigen's chief executive officer, Charles Chen, says that the vaccine has been thoroughly tested and is completely safe for use. Among claims, it was released without due precautions. The main proponents of the anti-Medigen movement from Taiwan's main opposition party, the KMT, who say the approval of the vaccine has been rushed. Currently, over 10 million of Taiwan's 23.5 million population have been vaccinated with a combination of AstraZeneca, Moderna and Medigen, but just over 3% of the country is fully vaccinated. Marvel releases trailer for the latest Spider-Man movie, No Way Home, which has officially broken the world record for most viewed trailer in 24 hours, tallying up 355 million views in one day. The much-anticipated release came as a delight to superhero fans and is the third installment in the Marvel Peter Parker Spider-Man series. The movie's main premise revolves around Peter Parker being exposed by Mysterio as Spider-Man and he now must live with the consequences. Peter soon can't handle the pressure, so he goes to fellow Marvel superhero Doctor Strange to ask him to cast a spell that will make everyone forget he's Spider-Man. The spell doesn't go as planned and causes damage to the space-time continuum, challenging the heroes to undo their mistakes. The real bombshell of the teaser comes at the very end, when fans are shown the familiar face of Alfred Molina reprising his role as the villainous Doc Ock from the 2004 Spider-Man film. Hello, Peter. This has left fans wondering whether Molina will be joined by other actors from the original Spider-Man trilogy. A Yakuza boss has denied being involved in the murder and attacks on three Japanese citizens after being sentenced to death by a Japanese court. 74-year-old Satoru Nomura was found guilty of shooting an ex-boss of Fisheries Cooperative in 1988. A 2012 shooting of a former police officer was also linked to the Yakuza boss. After the shock sentence, Nomura claimed he did not get a fair trial and told the judge that he would regret this for the rest of his life. Japanese media has said that the verdict came despite a lack of evidence. The Yakuza was long been tolerated in Japan as a necessary evil, but in recent years it has declined in popularity and membership. And here's what caught my interest this week. Animal lovers across the globe took advantage of International Dog Day on Thursday the 26th of August to celebrate their canine companions. Dog owners took to social media, sharing pictures of their pooches online and showing appreciation for their four-legged friends. If you're wondering how much people really love their dogs, just know that America set a record for spending over $100 billion on pet products last year. If that isn't true love, I don't know what is. Today's episode of The Wind Down was written by Aditya Kuti, Tim Wilson and myself. Our editor was Ebony Weston. Our artwork is by Emily Lee. You can find us on Twitter at Swin Journalism, Instagram at Swinburne Journalism or on our website, theswinstandard.net.